Today is just a simple look into a story looking at Nehemiah. And so this orange curriculum that we use is centered around some of these principles in life. And I think, I think you'll see this. It won't take long for us to, to, to set this up. But there are some times in life in which God places a burden on our hearts, and that burden is that we should be praying from a distance. It might be that you see something that's happening in another country just in the last few weeks. We all have been burdened to pray for what's going on uh, over in Afghanistan. And I believe that God is burdening my heart to pray uh, with intensity in there. Not that intensity means that God listens any more in there, but there, there's just this sense that God has burdened my heart to pray for our brothers and sisters, in particular our sisters um, over there in Afghanistan. Other times, God calls us to pray from a much closer proximity. And he actually calls us into action. So he calls us, yes, to pray, but he also calls us to do something about it. He calls us to, to do something while, in fact, we are up close. Now, a great discussion for you later on today might be, how do I know the difference between when God is calling me to pray from a distance and when he's calling me to do something from up close? We're not going to answer that today. What I'm going to say is this. When you get a sense that God is burdening your heart to move to action, more, that goes beyond praying from a distance, when you get a sense that God is calling you to, 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 to move, don't wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. Initiative, and I, I think uh, this, this just hit me right now. There's a gentleman that came up with the, it, it's a bunch of character clues. Does anybody remember these years ago? They're little cards. They're, they're, it's, uh, who was that? That's a guy, um, Go Bill Gothard. Whew, that was close. Bill Gothard, who I don't always agree with, uh, with him on things, but uh, he came up with these character clues, and, uh, and these were so good. And I think this was his definition of initiative, uh, his definition of initiative, was recognizing do and doing what needs to be done before I am asked to do so. Now, on a grand scale, a massive scale, something that is huge in nature, um, those are ones that we, we recognize, boy, that requires prayer and thought and counsel, and we take our time with it, and, and, and then we move after we're convinced God is calling us to do that. But how about the little things? How about the socks in the house that just simply have not been picked up. If you have children, you pray for your children's initiative. What happens when they simply don't do it? What, any relationship that we have, we recognize some things that need to be happening in this relationship. And as a general rule of thumb, can I say it this way? Don't wait for the other person to do what needs to be done. Now, why would we say this? What is the ultimate picture of somebody doing what needed to be done? Jesus looked down at mankind, at us, in our condition, in our fallen state, incapable of making ourselves right with God. Nothing we can do to meet the standard before us. And Jesus says, I will go. I will do something about it. Even while we were still enemies with him, Christ died for us. The reason we want to take initiative is because it's just so Christ-like. And God's desire for us is to form us and mold us and to shape us into the image of his son. So the balance is this today. You can't do everything that needs to be done. You can't. 
You'll never even be aware of everything that needs to be done. But when God does call you to do something from up close, do not wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. Just be obedient. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Nehemiah. We're in the first chapter here. We're going to make our way through the the first two chapters, but we're going to pick and choose some verses. So if you would, in honor of God's word, would you stand as we read just the first four verses? I'm going to be reading today from the New Living Translation. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had survived the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been burned. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. You may be seated. Now, Nehemiah is this guy who is a cupbearer to the king. What that basically means is he's somewhat of a bodyguard. And so he does things like taste the wine before it is given to the king so that in case it's poisoned, it would be Nehemiah's life, not the king's life that would be taken. So he's an important person, but this is what the scriptures let us know. Somehow or another, God had granted favor to the king of Nehemiah. In other words, the king thought so highly of Nehemiah. Never forget this. God has his people everywhere. God will put his people in any organization, even when we think it might be utterly godless, God has his people moving. Don't ever underestimate the wisdom of God. So in this government, which was not a God-honoring government, it was not a government that, that recognized Jehovah God as the God of the universe, God had placed his man. And so his friends, relatives, come to him and they say, and he asked them the question, hey, hey, how are things going with our people? So they had been in exile for 70 years. They had been pushed away. And then now came a time in which they could go back and they could rebuild some things. They, they, they could turn their city back into something that would have been beneficial again. They give him the news. It's really bad. Now, if you hear about a building that is down, we kind of say, well, bummer. Um, I hate that. But, but this is the temple that lays in ruins. Why was that important? Because the temple, hear this, is where the presence of God resided. And the people could not seek the Lord in the same kind of way without the temple. So Nehemiah sees, my people cannot meet with the Lord. And it says that he weeps, he falls on his knees, and his heart is burdened. He sees that there is a need in front of him, and now God burdens his heart. Now notice, though, the first reaction he has is to hit his knees. Please strive to remember this. We would be wise if our first reaction is to hit our knees. Whenever a need arises, we would be wise to first hit our knees. Because anytime you walk outside these doors, you're going to see needs that are abounding all over the place. And and rather than just going and trying to meet every, hit your knees. Lord, what do you want? God may not be calling you to do something specific about it. He may be asking you to pray from a distance. 
Or he may be asking you to do something from up close. But you're going to find out best when you pray. So that's what he does. Go down to uh, verse 5 now. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, laws, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Notice he takes initiative here when it comes to confession of sin. This is not just some little hedging of a bet that he does here. This is not just, well, I probably ought to confess something so that God will listen. It's not, well, I got to adore first, and then I can confess, and then I can thank God, and then I can finally ask him. It's not going through a formula. This is him recognizing there's probably some things here, Lord, that you need to do in my heart. Before I try to go lead, there's probably some things you need to do in me, and so he confesses. Skip down to verse 11, O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayer of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please give me success now as I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the, king bears, uh, the king's cupbearer. God, I am going to ask someone who does not know you, who does not walk with you, that I can go do something for you. And so I'm asking that you would move in their hearts beforehand so that they would actually be inclined to agree that, that doing something for you is worthwhile. Have you had that conversation with your boss? Have you gone in and said, you know, there's, there's something really, I, I just want to do this for my church. And, and I'm going to ask that you would uh, give me a whole bunch of stuff to, uh, to go help for me to do something for my church. I would suggest you pray. Nehemiah sees the need, and the first the initiative he takes is he takes initiative in praying. Go down to chapter 2. Early in the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence before this time, so the king asked me, why are you so sad? You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. Then I was badly frightened, but I replied, long live the king, why should not be said, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been burned down. He just simply tells the truth. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, notice that. The king asks, with the prayer, he responds. It looks as though there's not much time in between, so it sounds like he sends up just a quick, God help me, as these words are coming out of his mouth. I replied, if it please your majesty, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Here's the request that he gives. Here's what needs to be done. I've got to go, and I've got to go help him out. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone when you return? So the king agreed, and I set a date for my departure. God moves and stirs in his heart. Nehemiah has every reason to believe now that after praying and seeing God moving in a direction where he seems to be answering the prayers, that it seems to be he was even, even, even uh, leading Nehemiah to pray. And Nehemiah said, it, it seems like God's moving. It seems like, so, so I'm going to go. I'm going to keep moving in until God closes doors. So he sets a date and then he goes. 
all the way down to verse 16. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. This is when he's now in Jerusalem, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the religious or political leaders, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. Then. I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. He gets to the people. Nobody knows yet what's going on. God has put on his heart to move, not just pray from a distance, but actually do something from up close. And when he gets there, he goes to the leaders of the community, says, this is where we are. And he challenges them. And he says, but I want you to hear, this is why it seems to me that God is in on this. We can't leave our city like this. We cannot just sit back and let things lie in disgrace. We, Wildwood Church, cannot just sit back and watch Tallahassee. We cannot sit back while people who are separated from God are destined to spend an eternity away. We cannot just sit back and say, well, I hope things go well for us. When you see a need, and God puts a burden on your heart in particular, when he gives a command for all of us to do, do not wait for somebody else to do what needs to be done. What needs to be done here? What needs to be done in your family? What needs to be done at your school? What needs to be done in your workplace? Do you even know what the needs are? Where it is that you live, work, and play? Take some time and pray. Think through what are the needs that need to be met? Pray, ask God, God, what would you have me to do? And God is likely going to lay on your heart most things. He just wants you to pray from a distance and ask him to do something through someone else. That's most needs. But some things he's probably gonna ask you to step up and to move in close and to do something. And whatever this is that he is calling you to do, do not wait for somebody else to do what needs to be done. Because if you obey God, I give you his promise, not mine. He will be with you. He will use you. Your work will not be in vain. Because if you walk in obedience to what he's calling you to do today, then the Lord will be building that house. So what do you need? Talk to your wife. Talk to your kids. Talk to your neighbors. Find out what it is that the needs are. Pray, ask God, and then listen to what it is he'd have you do.